Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hello and happy Sunday. Thanks so much for tuning in this week on the Be Her Village podcast. I'm Janelle. And on this week's episode, Caitlin is talking to Dr. Shilpa Londe and Dr. Jess Holzer. They are the founders of Maternal Spotlight, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to research in the maternal field and giving grants to small organizations to provide tools that directly impact the people within those communities and groups and service centers. So in this episode, they talk about why they got into their research and why what they're doing is so important and how Be Her Village and Maternal Spotlight really comes together in a place where we're acknowledging that we need these kind of supports. You know, everybody, everybody knows that moms need to be supported. And Jess and Shilpa are out there finding the research that backs this kind of stuff up. And also finding the research that shows that the results prove to be better when mothers are supported. Maternal Spotlight is currently looking for motherhood stories, whether that's a story that you write or record or a podcast or any, any way that you would like to tell your story. And it's not just a story of being pregnant and then coming home with a baby. This can be any sort of maternal story such as fertility, loss, postpartum, pregnancy, caring for kids, caring for your family in a pandemic, caring for maybe elderly parents or relatives. The whole maternal experience is what Jess and Shilpa are in search of. And these are the stories that they want to hear. And these are the stories that they want to share. So if anybody that is listening wants to share their story, they would be more than happy to provide a place for you to share your story. I'll put a link in the show notes. So again, this is a, this is another episode where we aren't really focused on the babies. We're focused on the mamas and those who are going through this maternal motherhood experience. If you feel so inclined, share with a friend. If you know somebody who would like to share their story, share the link with them. Maternal Spotlight is also on Instagram, and they're trying to grow their following as well. So go give them a follow so we can support them in their research to get more tools and access to care for mothers on whatever part of their journey they're on. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. I am Caitlin Magreus, your host and the founder of Be Her Village. Today, I am so lucky to be interviewing Dr. Jessica Holzer and Dr. Shilpa Londe. Welcome, Jess and Shilpa. Hello, hello. Hi. Um, Dr. Oh, excuse me. Jess and Shilpa are longtime uh, friends, uh, both mothers, and they are maternal health researchers. And they have co-founded uh, a nonprofit called Maternal Spotlight, which is actually going to be partnering with Be Her Village uh, in some really exciting ways. So I invited Jess and Shilpa to come and talk to me about the work that they're doing. And uh, so we can share with all of you the types of things that uh, Be Her Village and Maternal Spotlight are collaborating on. So thank you guys so much both for being here today. And thanks let's, for having us. Of course. Yeah. And I'm glad we got all the tech figured out. Yeah, <laughs> if it turns into a robot at some point, everything's okay. We'll have to, to restart her and then it's fine. <laughs> um, so where do we begin? Um, maybe Shilpa, mm-hmm. since the relationship between us obviously started a couple of years ago, and yeah, maybe definitely. you can uh, talk a little bit about how Maternal Spotlight came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, you and I got to know each other in a very different capacity. Um, I uh, was having my second kid and um, 
gave you a call and said, this is happening. And you were my doula that day. And that worked out well. You, you uh, saw a whole lot of me and uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of time together. And I'll never forget your hands on my back as my daughter tried to, you know, punch me in the coccyx a few times. It was good. Um, but yeah, that's how we, you know, began. And then I think, um, you know, over time um, throughout my second pregnancy and, and also um, afterwards, you know, Jess and I had been maternal health researchers this whole time. And so then after I got to a point where I was thinking things through and kind of, you know, deciding what to do. And then Jess was also in a similar situation where she um, had become a mom and was thinking about how her research life kind of intersected with her maternal life. You know, we started to um, can think about what we could do in a non-academic space um, so that we could connect the research to women and families and communities that um, are kind of inundated with a lot of info at times. Um, and I think it's easy for us to say there's a, there isn't enough information, but in reality, there's too much information. It's kind of hard to parse out what is accurate, what's necessary, what helps us make, uh, what actually useful for us in making choices to um, have children, to start a family. Um, what does that look like? What are your healthcare choices? And so I think the idea kind of came about by, um, well, some of it was inspired, actually, a lot of it was inspired by watching Be Her Village grow and kind of understanding that, yeah, there is a need for information and resources for for um, families, growing families, new families um, that just isn't there right now. And we wanted to connect all the research that we had been doing in the academic space to uh, people who actually need it um, instead of going to these conferences where we're kind of talking at each other and we're all patting each other on the back and saying, yeah, yeah, this is all good stuff. And, and it, it's great to do that. It's great to be able to share your research with other people in your community, but it's not necessarily being translated at the community level when people go home from the conferences. And so I thought this, um, this just seemed to be something that came about from that. Absolutely. So I would just love to, um, from my perspective, right? So I, I was and still sort of am in a lot of ways the under-resourced mother, you know, like I don't have as much support. You know, I shout, you know, village at people and then I'm <laughs> I in the background I'm trying to build my own and and it's an ongoing process. I literally was like texting my father, like, Can you babysit the kids? I have a meeting, you know, it's like this is this is where I am and it's it's an ongoing thing. But I remember you um you reaching out to me and saying, you know, and and when Shilpa reaches out to me, I think I have a child coming in. Hold on. Hi. I'm, that's very cool. Can you go? Thank you. Sorry. What was I saying about under-resourced? Very cool. Now go. Do the child and go. It's just Halloween Honestly, costume. I'm super impressed by that because if I were to tell my three-year-old, like, that's very cool, then, but go, she'd be yeah. like, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let's talk more about it. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. There's like a, definitely a look of like I'm on an important meeting. You need to go. That you guys probably didn't look. <laughs> like I, I will love on you lunch later. <laughs> such a responsive mother in 15 minutes. For like, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so Shilpa, you reached out to me and you said, you know, I'm a maternal health researcher, which I knew we had obviously had a relationship prior. And I love what you're doing. And I want to reach the mamas and I want to reach the people who can really be impacted by the research that we're doing. And I thought it was such a cool idea. Oh, wonderful. Can you go, please? Thank you. Tell Papa <laughs> to come lock the door. You've <laughs> seen it all, guys. This is the guts. Um, so what I thought was so cool about it is that I don't, I think these worlds are very separate in a lot of ways, right? Like you guys are, by the way, after our first meeting and pretty much after every meeting we have, my brain just spins because the two of you are brilliant <laughs> and have been working together for many years. And the amount of ideas that the two of you produce in a 30 minute brainstorming session is the amount of ideas it would take me five years <laughs> to get to that paper. And it's so impressive. Um, so you guys move at lightning speed. You have this incredible grasp of of the, the studies and the evidence and the research. And you have this real wide lens view of what's going on out there and what's missing. Um, and to now have this initiative to reach the people that the research can actually affect in real time is pretty cool. Um, and so I'm so excited about what you guys have founded with Maternal Spotlight. So what I want to just highlight for our listeners is what you guys are actually talking about studying, 
versus what's actually being studied out there. Because, you know, Shilpa, I was your doula. Like, it's all about evidence. All I do is like send out articles and highlight things. And, you know, I don't want anybody to have to take my word for anything, even though people are willing to. I don't, I'd really rather you make decisions based on evidence or at least have the evidence to inform your decision, whether or not that's how you make it. Um, But let's talk about that because from what you guys have told me, there's huge gaps in even understanding what some of the problems are, that that there's a huge focus, as there should be, of course, on maternal mortality, because women are dying, and women are dying, uh, Black women are dying more than white women, and there's, there's just this huge life-threatening thing going on with maternity care in our country, but that that's not the end of the story, and that's kind of where you guys are coming in. So can you talk a little bit about um, what the focus of your research is for this organization? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be really fun to get into some of the studies we've worked on in the past. So I think it's a good segue into that. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned was about how the focus is on mortality that that women are dying. And I think that is absolutely important. And we have to be recognizing that we have to be shouting it from the rooftops, we have to be sharing that information. But I think what happens is it takes away from the story, from the reality that women are hurting, you know, women are are in pain, whether it's emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, um, and that a lot of that could be related to a lack of information, a lack of empowerment. And so I think understanding it in a broader sense, that it's not just death, it's about overall pain. And obviously death is the extreme form of that, but that there is this this lack of information or this um, there is something that may not take a lot of investment um, that we could actually put into play that would help. Um, sorry, I just saw that. Tomb Raider. I don't even know what his costume is, but he is fully costumed and interrupting. Shilpa's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I um, so Jess and I actually one of the first papers we worked on, um, which Jess can articulate in a better way than I can, um, is a paper that really identified all the gaps in maternal health research. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely pass it over to Jess to talk about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think just going back to my own pregnancy, I only have one, um, and my pregnancy was pretty easy as far as pregnancies go. But even in that process, I was like, man, like I feel like I have a better amount of information doing almost anything in my adult life than I do right now, um, like shopping for car insurance or buying a house or whatever. Like, there's just more resources, and there's more coordinated resources too, right? There was no shortage of people in my life telling me things about what motherhood would be like, but there wasn't necessarily like the problem with that is that that's that one person's experience and that's not, you know, universalizable. You can't, you can't turn one person's experience into a story about how all mothers experience X, Y, or Z, right? And those of you who have had multiple pregnancies know, like, even the same mother doesn't have the same experience pregnancy after pregnancy, right? It's not, it's not even universal within a person. So I love information. I seek information as a rule. And so when I didn't find any of that, it just really frustrated me to the point that as Shilpa and I were talking about it and I was getting angry about it, it was like, well, what can I do about this? And so, you know, the study, it was, it was so basic as far as studies go, but it was just looking around to see we measure quality in healthcare using uh, established metrics, right? So this is a, this is a term of art and um, anyone who studies quality in healthcare is going to be familiar with places like the National Center for Quality Assurance or National Consortium. I, I can never remember what the C stands for, which makes it sound NCQA like NCQA is all we need to know. <laughs> yeah, NCQA. And then you have the National Quality Forum and QF. Like these are, these are national bodies that are also internationally recognized as the Joint Commission. Hospitals bow down at their feet in terms of trying to get high quality, like high values on a lot of these metrics. So the question was like, well, are we asking any questions about pregnancy that are focused on the mother and specifically postpartum that are focused on the mother? Because, you know, I had an amazing midwife who was great. Right up to my labor and delivery, I didn't have any complications. So, you know, I, I went 41 weeks. I saw her every three days in that last two-week period. And then I didn't see her again for six weeks. And, like, she was amazing. It's not because she was a terrible provider. But she was being paid by the insurance company to see me at six weeks. 
And everything that happened between those two was like, well, I'm not actually bleeding. I'm not dying, right? I'm not dying, but I am struggling. And I don't know if this is a level of struggle that rises to the level of calling her up and bothering her, right? And so what I was curious about is like, Providers are, their behavior is, is structured by places. It's structured by insurance that they get paid for, but it's also structured by these quality metrics. So that's why Shilpa and I were like, okay, well, let's see what quality metrics are out there in that postpartum period. And it's basically none. Um, the, the only one that there is is, did you see a provider at that postpartum visit between, you know, it's four to six weeks or four to eight weeks, depending on sort of who's asking. Um, so, so that's it. Um, and that's exactly what my experience was. And so my experience of everything I was lacking in that, it ended up being five weeks from the point that I delivered to the point that I saw Melanie again. Um, that five week period was a period in which I decided whether or not to stick with breastfeeding. Um, I decided whether or not to feed my daughter using a bottle or use a pacifier and get into all that sort of nipple confusion stuff that you hear about. Right. And all of that I was making on my own because I wasn't suffering anything that felt like I needed to get more resources. And a lot of those resources weren't covered by insurance anyway. So all of that would have been out of pocket. And the moment of having a baby did not feel like a moment to spend two thousand dollars on a resource. Um, you know, we're living in Queens, New York, and my husband and I are fine enough off. But even then I was like, oh, my God, no, I can't spend money on that. That feels so frivolous. Um, and so, so that was just really frustrating to me. So that study, I basically established that we're not using the policy levers we have available to us to push for different types of practice, um, because those quality measures drive attention. So for instance, there is a quality measure on postpartum depression, um, that's usually evaluated at that four to six week follow-up visit. And so now you see a much higher number of providers screening for depression because they are being evaluated on whether or not they screen for depression. Oh, hashtag surprise, they screen for depression. Think of yourself when you're in like grade school, right? You study the questions you think are going to be on the exam and you prepare that. It's, you know, doctors aren't any different than that. They've, they've taken a lot of tests, right? So, so they become very good at that. So I just, you know, we became interested in trying to figure out how can we change that test? to examine the things that we care about. And that's sort of where we are now is figuring out how do we move forward from being able to identify that gap to saying, okay, well, let's fill that gap with something other than noise. I love that, Jess. That's amazing. And I think as you're talking about this, I'm understanding why we are collaborating because I am trying to solve the exact same issues from a different angle, right? You're doing it I think all of us, it's a little bit like Michelle Obama is like, <laughs> what it is like we are, we're not even at the point of like trying to convince people that mothers are being failed because it's such an accepted known fact at this point that our country is not on the micro or the macro supporting mothers in any discernible or actual way. Um, so you guys, the, the research that you're doing and the nonprofit that you founded is trying to, you know, make sweeping changes and make real tools for healthcare and government and so on, huge organizations to make this change. Whereas I'm, I'm saying, let's get the funds in the hands of the women so they can access this care. And it's almost like, let me do that while you guys do the big stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then one glorious day, every single woman in America will be completely supported uh, before, during, and after birth. Um, but your your experience and what you described is exactly what my experience was and so much, so much worse. I don't know, the way you described it sounds like, okay, but it was... Like you're in the, it's not just that you're alone and you're not having a doctor, like you're in the trenches. Every time I talk about Be Her Village, I talk about when I had um, a, a five-day-old baby and I was trying to figure out how to get to the pediatrician's office, which doesn't sound that hard, but I was five days post-C-section. No, that's really hard. I, I didn't know how to take a shower. Like I literally did not know how to take a shower with a baby. <laughs> and my husband was in grad school and working full time. He was out of the picture. I didn't have support. And my mother walked into my apartment. I lived in Astoria at the time and I was naked sitting in my nursery, nursing my baby. And I was crying because I just, I didn't know how to do any of this. And there was nobody to teach me. And there was no support built in. I, I was sitting in my perfect nursery, right? That everybody had at my baby shower, giving me all the things. And then I was completely alone and unsupported and trying to breastfeed and trying to get care for my baby. And at one point trying to get care for myself and, 
and I was just completely left short. And I also just want to jump in about that six week visit. Like it's literally five minutes and they're like, (laughs) and that's part of what you guys are working on. Right. It's like, it's like a vaginal exam. Okay. You're good. You can have sex. You can exercise. You can just live your life completely normally. And I remember being like, uh, I know none of this feels normal. What do you mean? What is is that? But you know, I I wanted to jump in though about that postpartum visit. Like, let's just pretend for a second that we don't need any other support, that the healthcare system and the quality foundations that we have in place are completely right, that we should only be checking if somebody goes to this appointment at six. Let's just pretend that that's the only thing that we actually need and that we should be looking for as a quality measurement. Well, one of the follow-up studies we did was we looked at, well, how often are people, women actually going to this appointment, right? So let's just pretend like we're just taking the low-hanging fruit approach. Like we're not looking for, I mean, I think it's fantastic that you think we're doing all these big changes and we hope to do that at some point. But <laughs> just pretend that we have to start, I mean, we obviously we, not pretend, we all have to start somewhere. And so if we just say, okay, like working with the system we have. And we just say, this is the part that matters to insurance companies. This is the part we're all kind of used to thinking about. This is what's been ingrained in our our relationship as people with the healthcare system that we live with, that we should have this postpartum follow-up visit. Okay. Well, it turns out when we examine national survey data that only, you know, maybe about half of women are attending this postpartum visit in a timely manner. So if that's the test, if we're saying that's what we need to focus on, we're not even getting that right. So if, if you're taking like the low hanging fruit approach, we could certainly look at mechanisms, you know, as Jess was saying that we're, there are plenty of policy levers in place that we could, um, modify where we can say, okay, these already exist as regulations or how um, we're designing payment structures. You know, these things are already in place. Maybe we can modify them so that it incentivizes, it encourages both healthcare providers and women to find mechanisms and resources so they could at a minimum attend this appointment, you know, just as a starting point. Now we can now go off on a thousand tangents about how it should be sooner, how it shouldn't be five minutes, how we should encompass all these other services in addition to that visit. Absolutely. That is a must and a necessity. But even if you're arguing with somebody who says, no, no, you got what you need. That, that visit is key. Get to that visit and you're good to go. I mean, think of all the great things you can do afterwards. Like you mentioned, you can procreate some more. You could take (laughs) there's so many cool things you can do after we check it off as being okay. But just a just as a basic metric, we can't even do that, right? So I think um, you know it's interesting because we do want to make bigger changes, but we have to start with even just just that. And I think that in combination with what, you know, Be Her Village is focused on, it's it's that combination of the social supports and the medical supports. That's what's really going to, um, you know, push us towards a space where the postpartum period isn't just something you talk about when you are five days into it and crying naked in your nursery, but instead maybe five months before you deliver, you have this conversation about, well, what is the postpartum year going to look like? Not just what your birth is going to look like. What is the postpartum year going to look like? And it opens the door to just a bigger conversation about what happens from your first appointment all the way down to two years later when you need to go for a well woman exam. Um, It's just a longer timeline than I think people are used to. um, Because as you said, they're looking at babycenter.com or other type of websites, which give you a little uh, email about how big your kid is relative to a a seed or a plant or a fruit, which drove me nuts. I didn't find that useful at all. Um, Me neither. I don't need to know my baby is a papaya. That does nothing. Like I get it. Like I do it relative to my hands. I'm like, oh, it's about this big or this big. Um, but you know, and I, I mean, I'm making light of it. It's obviously, it's cute to, to be informed about these things and it's, it's, it makes you happy and you know, your love, your, it's your way of connecting with your baby, I guess, when you can't really see your baby and, and that part is good, but you don't get those same things about what's happening inside of you. Like this may be happening. And that, like, I would love to have seen like an email that's like, your baby is a cantaloupe. And by the way, this may hurt over here. Your, you know, your pubic symphysis may be hurting like a whole bunch right now. Yeah. There's some things you could do while you're hanging on to that cantaloupe, you know, like, or, like this is what your doctor or midwife is going to discuss with you at your next visit. Here's some articles to prepare for that conversation. That's those are the emails I want to be sending out. Exactly. Sure. Or yeah. also like, if they don't discuss this with you, you should initiate this conversation. Yes. Right. So, so, you know, I I think one of the, one of the things that I always want to be careful about, especially in this is like placing all the onus of responsibility uh, on like a good pregnancy on the woman, 
right? So, um, and that's one reason why the the metrics was was so interesting. It's not just about what individual women are or aren't doing, right? It's not it's not about an absence of will to be educated. It's not about an absence of interest in the life of their baby or the health of their pregnancy or whatever. It's literally that they don't have the support necessary to do that, right? Like we don't expect most other people to be doctors for themselves. Like we don't expect them to to be able to figure out. I mean, it, maybe we do expect more people to be do it. I, like, I don't I don't ever want to point to a disease because there's probably somebody who's like, well, I kind of feel like I'm left to my own devices, and that's true. Like in a lot of ways, the medical system does a, a poor job by all patients. Yeah. But I think because we carry babies and babies are seen as vulnerable and precious and worth saving, it's sort of like, okay, get out of the way. You know, we're going to talk about the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby. And so you learn about papayas and you learn about cantaloupes and you learn about the size and you learn about, you know, lung development and brain development and why you shouldn't be having certain things at certain times in your pregnancy because it affects those things. But you just don't learn about you, right? And and it's not on it's not just the job of the woman to educate herself either. Right? It's also the job of society to have resources at hand to provide those. So like one of the things I love about Be Her Village is the sense of like everybody chipping in, right? And it's it's a microcosm of what it would it would be nice to have as a society on the whole, which is that we all have a responsibility to make sure that children grow up healthy, right? That that responsibility does not fall to the parents of the child exclusively, right? Like they only have so much control over that. And so we all have a responsibility. So I, I mean, I'm a very big systems thinker as you're kind of probably telling from this conversation. Um, but I really like, I want doctors and I, I, I want, I would love a paradigm shift of realizing the dyad that you're creating when you have a pregnant mother and baby and then even the, even outside of that two-person dyad, you have a lot of very strongly affected people, right? You've described your mom, your dad, your partner, all people who are going to suffer if you suffer, right? All people who are going to also, like, they, you know, it's that concentric circles, right? So you drop a, you drop a stone in the pond and then the circles sort of move out, right? And, and you have the, you have the largest wave right there after you drop the stone, but you still have waves going out further and further and further. Everybody, like, it, it's got an echo to it. So, um, it's just really important to me that we, we keep that in mind. We don't just think of like individual patient responsibility. Individual women have to like, they should be coming and getting their resources here and not here. It's not, it's not just on the individual woman to, um, to do the work. It's really on all of us to do that work and create safe space. So even if the woman didn't, she'd be safe. Yes, absolutely. I love that, Jess. Go ahead, Shilpa. I see. Oh, no, I was just going to jump in because I just realized when you were talking about that, just it reminded me that in the absence of that paradigm shift, it's kind of interesting, you know, as somebody who's just joined Instagram over the last few years, it's interesting to see what has kind of come out of that absence, like what has been created um, to fill that void. And I think what it is, is that there is a recognition, maybe not by society as a whole, which is what we're trying to go for, but among women who are now recognizing that there is a struggle, let's support each other in the struggle. Now, this has been heightened since COVID began, since we're all talking about various themes about homeschooling and working from home and you know all the different things that come with being at home with COVID. But even before COVID began, there were uh, several accounts and um, you know groups and followers that were all talking about this. Hey, listen, we're all struggling together. We all have these concerns and these issues. And of course, there are other media outlets that have jumped on this wagon as well. So you know, you have Parenting, uh, Parents Magazine, and, and Parenting from New York Times, and things like that. So I think it's been interesting over the last several years as, we, as we've been researching, you know, the data and the, well, the lack of data and the existing data um, and understanding how the healthcare system views maternal health and understands it and operationalizes it. I think what's also been interesting is seeing, well, what do, you know, average women and families and community, like what, what are, what are people actually doing understanding that? Yeah. You know what? I remember the first time, this happened to me when I go to have this second kid or the circuit, or, Oh, I remember my cousin's experience. It's all anecdotal, right? It's all, but it is support in a way. But of course, you know, as Jeff was saying earlier, like finding out about 
you in these emails that you know, obviously that's missing, but you do hear about it. You know, you always get the random aunt or uncle or neighbor or mother-in-law or whoever that's giving you information. But I think seeing these, you know, it depending on how you curate your social media feeds, like you can certainly create something where you are seeing the support. But I think Be Her Village and Maternal Spotlight, what we're trying to do is say, okay, we acknowledge that we all understand that the support is necessary. How can we actually take it and then operationalize it in a way where people can get to it in a, in a process. Like we know when you are, when you find, when you pee on a stick, that is a signal. That is a signal that I have to now interact with the healthcare system in these such and such ways that even if you don't know a lot about pregnancy, you at least know eh, it's about nine months and I'm going to go see a provider and I'm going to see them a little more often as I get closer to the end and there'll be a baby and we go home and I bought all, I got all this stuff. And like, you kind of like see it because we've seen it on TV. We've seen it in movies, you know, growing up in the eighties, there was no shortage of sitcoms where women were, you know, doing their screaming and cursing. And it was so funny. And the man's hand was going to be broken because he was squeezing so hard. And it was like this classic scene that you see over and over again. So all of our ideas about pregnancy and delivery come from the media. But to get back what I was saying before, I was just saying that there is a social movement that's happening to say, hey, there's more to it. But it's not necessarily being connected to organizations and systems change. And I think that's one of the goals for our partnership is saying, you know, let's definitely draw let's draw attention to the fact that you do need a support system in play. Here are some examples. Like if we go to the registry right now and say, oh, I didn't realize physical therapy was useful. I can imagine, you know, somebody kind of saying that if they were being kind of pushed towards this registry as opposed to like your typical other type of registry. You know, I think it's really great that it exists just to tell people like, Hey, it signals to your family or your friends that this is what I'm thinking of, you know? And and that's such a huge thing, like without even actually going into the details of what you should purchase and what's useful when, like just the information, the way it's presented, I think is a, is a strong signal to people to say, Hey, I bet you didn't realize this is what we needed. Right. Absolutely. And that's one of, that was one of the important parts when um, I was creating the, the registry, the Be Her Village site, is that I wanted a woman to be able to go there with no prior knowledge, with no prerequisites to like, you don't have to know what a doula is. You don't have to know what pelvic floor support is. You can just wander on, read articles, listen to podcasts, make a registry, go to the registry guide, poke around, and it walks you through all the types of support. Or you can go on there going, oh, I can't wait to get my yoga classes paid for, you know, and then be like, oh, what's a doula, you know, and what's a support group and why would I need one? Absolutely. So there's, there is this sense of, the woman doesn't, you know, the onus isn't on her. We're going to, we're going to kind of take all of this information and give her this amazing resource. Um, I just want to circle back really quickly to what you were talking about, Jess. It's so powerful. The, the idea that the community and the village and the system needs to bear responsibility for how we're treating mothers. And I think that's a huge part of our both of our organizations. I mean, it's in both of the names. It was very intentional that we're not talking about babies, you know, but there's this understanding that the dyad exists and the baby is only okay if the mama is okay or if the parent is okay. Um, but one of the things that I personally on my journey, but also professionally as a doula have coached women through is this feeling of forgiveness for myself for not knowing. There's so many people um, that have this awful first birth. And I'm one of them. And as a doula, I meet many, many, many women that have just an absolutely awful first birth and a traumatic first birth. And, and they blame themselves for not knowing. And I blamed myself for not knowing. And I watched the movies and I took the classes and I hired the midwives and I still really did not know what was happening. But there's this sense, especially in our American and certainly New York, like individualism, like I should have known, I should have done better. And like, I'm partially responsible for the things that happened to me. And while that's true, and like, that's a whole other conversation of personal responsibility versus, you know, system. But I tell, I tell the women that come to me and, and have those sentiments, it's, you are allowed to walk into a doctor's office and expect high quality medical care. You are allowed to be a pregnant person and to be safe in that hospital without doing years of research and without knowing how to advocate yourself for yourself. And unfortunately, that's not currently the situation. You need an advocacy, an advocacy background or an advocate by your side. You need to do the research. You need to question things because as we're talking about, there are gaps. It's not just maternal mortality. It is everything that leads up to that mortality. 
disability and and there is hurt and suffering and pain along the way not to paint this horrible grim picture but but it almost feels like after doing this work really hands-on doula work in the hospital and my own birds for six years now I mean it's the people that get through this system without an advocacy background or an advocate or research unscathed are just lucky. I swear to God, I think they're just lucky because there's a whole bunch of us, us that are working really hard and and have to work really hard to have an even like decently respectable experience. Um, so I, I love that you say that, Jess, that this is not about blaming women or, or putting more responsibility on them, but it's almost like this dual thing of like, let's get them funded, let's get them educated on Be Her Village while on Maternal Spotlight, you guys are gonna be doing the research that doesn't currently exist into how these services and these supports are necessary, why they're necessary and getting it fixed, you know, on a, on a much larger scale. So it's pretty incredible. um, The work that you guys are planning. And I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about the partnerships that you've established and the types of things that you guys are doing locally on Long Island in the near future. Sure. We, uh, we've been working with Lida and the Nesting Place as our, their uh, two organizations here in Long Island. And we, we've just kind of started these partnerships because we're trying to explore how different communities create these models in their areas, which look at, you know, low cost interventions where you can do, you know, have a meeting every couple of days or, you know, once a week after you've had a baby and that it's not necessarily a session where you're coming to kind of talk about all of your struggles. That's obviously part of it. I think it's when you first say, okay, this is a support group. It's meeting every week that it has this connotation that you're coming to kind of just talk about life and experiences with your baby. And it kind of resembles what we see on the Instagram feeds about kind of commiserating in your experiences. And that's a huge part, but I think what's really interesting about this model, all of these models, is that it's incorporating direct connectivity with the healthcare system. So um, having somebody speak about having an expert on mental health come in or having an expert on physical therapy come in and talk to a small, you know, intimate group about issues you may be having or, you know, which may speak to you on on multiple levels. It could be something you're already feeling. So then you identify with it and you want to talk more. It could be something that a couple weeks later you recognize maybe after the support group has ended and you say, okay, wait a minute, I know what this is. This isn't one of those, I have to live with it situations, or this is just part and parcel of having a kid. Um, It's something that somebody has said to me, Hey, listen, if this happens, you know, figure, you know, figure out how to get to this medical appointment and go check it out or whatever it is, or he, and actually it'll be more than that. It'll be, here are some people we know that we recommend. So it wouldn't just be like, Oh, go find somebody. It'll be, yeah. Hey, this person's come in and they've indicated that they're available um, and they're in our local area and that you can bring your kid to the appointment and so on and so forth. So, you know, these are just different models, but I think it's really interesting to be able to come in as, you know, a research organization and say, okay, well, how can we evaluate how women are doing at the start of the program? How are they doing at the end of the program? Um, what were their concerns? Were they addressed? Was there something that could be done differently or better? You know, was it cost effective? You know, all the different questions that we ask in healthcare research and to be able to put it out there and say, hey, listen, you know, maybe health insurance, you know, maybe the the payment mechanisms we have in play right now aren't really capturing these types of resources, but they could and at very little cost and with huge benefits, you know, whether it's, you know, as Jess was saying before, in that period of time where you're deciding whether or not to breastfeed or how you're feeding your child or whatever it is, you know, big decisions are made during this time. Maybe if we were to spend the little, you know, the incremental amount that uh, we need to spend to connect women to these support groups that maybe that helps to make those big choices, which has huge long-term downstream effects on that diet, on that relationship, on educational outcomes, developmental outcomes, you know, like there's a big picture here. Um, and I think when it comes to maternal health and understanding, you know, how should we improve it? It's easy to create interventions and awareness around the baby. But I think um, these models that we're trying to, these organizations that are creating these models that we're trying to partner with, they're really focused on um, the mom's well-being. And so that's really what we're looking to kind of explore and to um, disseminate really, because I think there's not a lot of attention being given to these types of models. Um, So if there's a way for us to disseminate that information, even within our own academic circles and say, hey, listen, this exists, we should be exploring it. Um, Is there a way to, you know, is it scalable? Can we make it so that we're 
implementing this across a health plan, you know, and I know um, Jess and I have spoken about her experiences with um, her health plan, having a support system and play kind of like this as well. So that's kind of one of the, the things we're working on. It's very exciting. Um, I mean, that's part of why I founded Be Her Village is because there are so many wonderful supports and local businesses and local organizations that are serving women and serving mothers, but they're all out of pocket. (laughs) That's where Be Her Village came from, right? It's like, and I've said this to many people, I would, in an ideal world, I would, you know, change it in a government sense, and I would be, you know, queen of the world, and I would just give everybody wonderful mother. Benevolent dictator, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is, is that not? I felt like maybe it was a little easier to just start a website, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the goal, right? Is to just get women connected and funded for those services. So while you know they're able right now to make registries and get funded from the people in their lives that are gifting them um, support. Excuse me, I'm on a call. Sorry, there's children everywhere. Um, parenting. Work, this is a working mother in the time of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really mean to be the example of that today, but my God. We needed that example because it's probably going to happen for every podcast we ever do by one of us. So. Yes, absolutely. I think this is very relatable, I hope. Um, <laughs> yes. So, But in the meantime, to be able to do research of these organizations that are doing the work and and either help them improve, right, by using the data to see what's working, it's not. But then the bigger picture is using that data to say this is working and this is what should be funded and to help women get this care. And I mean, that's that's the way, right? That's how we, we talk about wanting to change the motherhood experience and make motherhood better and change maternal outcomes. I'm like, this is how you do it, right? You have to study it first. You have to identify the the problem, which I think has been identified, but now we have to identify the solution. And it sounds like that's what you guys are doing in a really local sense and something that can be super impactful for literally the women on Long Island and the women in New York is showing, you know, the data behind the programs that are available to them. So I think it's absolutely incredible. Do you want to add something? Well, I was just realizing as, as you were saying it, that there is something we should probably mention, which is um, we are certainly focused on um, improving, you know, awareness and access to resources for the postpartum period and, and making that available earlier on during pregnancy as well. But um, we have a, a very broad framework that we've created for Maternal Spotlight, where we're also kind of examining other maternal experiences, which I think don't necessarily come to mind when we talk about pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum. Um, you know, we we want to branch out to provide resources to people who are thinking about, about becoming pregnant, who have experienced uh, different fertility challenges, loss. Um, and we also, on the other end of the spectrum, we want to be able to provide, provide resources for maternal experiences related to caregiving. So whether it's, you know, um, having biological children, adopting children, fostering children, but also um, caregiving for elders, caregiving for people in your community. There is a lack of resources in all of these areas. And, you know, women are disproportionately taking care of everyone um, all the time in our communities. Oh, I feel this so deeply. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that when we went to start this, it would be it was very obvious to us that there were pieces of the puzzle that were missing from this maternal kind of narrative and that it wasn't just about, you know, it wasn't just about, okay, you're pregnant. Let's have a conversation. It's wait a minute. Are you thinking about becoming pregnant? Are you struggling with becoming pregnant? Have you experienced miscarriage, which nobody talks about? Um, Have you experienced other complications that nobody talks about? And for women who may not be caring for children, but are caring for other adults, there is a huge maternal component to that. It is inherently maternal. And I think it gets left out of the conversation. So I think over time, what we'd like to do is branch out into these other areas as well. We have developed partnerships and relationships with uh, people who are experts in these areas so that over time we can grow them. Um, But the idea is that over time, Maternal Spotlight will become kind of your one-stop shop for all maternal experiences. So when I say shop, I mean shop for information. You know, you can read about something, listen to something, but that it would be user-friendly. Like you're not just looking around and saying, let me see what I Google today. So we started this new study recently. I mean, this was, Jess and I have lots of phone calls and conversations all the time. So we start studies all the time where we brainstorm things, which is why we're excited to start doing podcasts because we figured, well, why don't you come and listen in to what we brainstorm all the time? Um, But one of the ideas is actually, you know, if you go to, to Google, like right now you Google, you know, how do I choose an OBGYN or how do I do like whatever 
thought pops into your head when you pee on a stick, basically. And if you Google it, the information that pops up is a little concerning. And so I think that having another website, like, you know, perhaps a nonprofit research organization or, or any other website that really, you know, it doesn't have to be us. I, I, I'd love for it to already be out there, but that says, hey, listen, here's a worksheet. Here's something you can use when you go to your provider. And, you know, we were talking to one of our experts um, who was saying, hey, if you go to visit your provider for the first time and they're not interested in doing this worksheet with you to kind of understand if you're a good fit, if you're going to have a healthy patient provider relationship, maybe that's a sign that you don't want to continue with them for nine more months, you know? So I think being able to create these tools that are interactive, it's not just here's a checklist. Like I think when we first started out, we're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was a checklist? But we want to move away from checklists and do something that's a little more interactive because checklist implies it's binary. It's right or wrong. Like if you didn't do it, like you've done, you've missed a step. Like that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, is this an item that we should discuss together? Is this something we need to address? Maybe it doesn't apply to us because every person is different. Every family is different. Every relationship is different. So we can create a tool that accounts for that variation that we can account for all the the things that make us different, you know, like, let's do that. Let's make it so that you can click on it. It's a one pager, you take it to your meeting, and you figure out if this provider is right for you. And that's just like one example of what we'd like to do in the future. I love that functional tools that are easy to use and digest. That's wonderful. Really amazing. And I think what's really important, and one of the things that we're really interested in is combining evidence with functionality, right? So one of the challenges I experienced when I was doing research is that I am trained in levels of evidence and I couldn't take the quality of information uh, that I would find sometimes. I mean, I early in my pregnancy, I went to find, um, you know, like, is it safe to get a massage? You know, just, just, just that sort of question. Kind of not enough for me to call my doctor, but curious about it, of course. And, um, you know, because there were all sorts of restrictions in that first trimester. And I found relatively high on the Google search. You know, I'm not digging 30, 30 links in. So this is in the first five, right? You know, basically a Reddit for moms, um, you know, for lack of a better word, just sort of like a, just, just a, a page, just a listserv or whatever. And people saying like massage, hits trigger points that cause miscarriage and these sorts of things. And just information like, Caitlin, I see your eyes going big. Yeah. Um, you, know, and, you, know. you don't ever want to Google things, Jess. Right. I know. It's true. It's true. It's true. That's it's what the average like, does, right? Like, it's basically how I diagnose death, right? Like, so cancer. It's every time I look, it's cancer. Or lupus or, you know, death, right? Like, right, so, right. Just, just so, yeah. so, um, so, and, but but even though I you know eventually got my massage, don't worry about me. I got I got my NOS work done. But just seeing that and knowing that that's the first thing that came up, or that's among the first things that came up, right? Like that's what the Google search optimization pulled out for answering that question. There was literally the CDC didn't comment on it. Like yeah. every mother counts didn't have like there there was nothing. There was nothing out there. The World Health Organization didn't weigh in on it. Like none of the places that I, as a researcher, might originally start as sort of a public-facing resource, they just didn't. They didn't rank up there. Mm. Um, and maybe they have the information like buried on their website, and they have it poorly keyworded or whatever. Like yeah. I'm not saying that not clicking around at that exist. point. No? Yeah, but like, but seriously, why is that the authoritative source? Right. Like, okay, you can tell me, just don't Google it, but good luck with that. Right. Good luck finding somebody who has access to a smartphone and has a concern and telling them, don't Google it. (laughs) You know, they're going to Google it. So we may as well provide the resources, make it accessible, make it evidence based. Right. Because this lady, it was undoubtedly a lady somewhere, somewhere like she she was clearly very convinced about this in her best estimate. That was the truth. And it just, it just, it's not true, right? And I couldn't, I couldn't trust the massage place because they're sort of economically interested in me getting a massage. So I wasn't going to entirely trust them, but it didn't feel like something I should call my doctor about like, hey, can I get a massage? You know, it felt like we just never talked about it. We talked about no soft cheese, you know, eat sushi carefully and those sorts of things. But we didn't talk about, yeah, you can get massage, but avoid this type of thing or don't lie in this position, right? So that just, that just strikes me as a real failure of society at large that the best we can do is 
people helping each other and people helping each other is really valuable. But the problem is that it can also recapitulate wrong information, right? People helping each other is why we have people telling each other, oh, definitely don't vaccinate your kids because I heard from my friend over here or whatever. And as a public health professional, I'm like, right? Like, so, so I just, it's all, it, it, it comes from people helping people, but there's a limit to what people helping people can actually achieve if the information that started it is bad. And that's what I want to address is like, I want us to have quality information so that everyone who wants to help has the capacity to help in a way that's actually helpful. That's amazing. I absolutely mm-hmm. love the vision that you guys have. <laughs> and thank you so much for laying it out for us. And I really just want to do this again and just have you guys have your weekly call, but recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just want to, before we sign off, just let our listeners know that um, for every single gift that is bought on Be Her Village, there will be a donation made to Maternal Spotlight to fund the efforts of Jess and Shilpa and their team and get the research done and do all of the wonderful things that you guys are talking about. Plus, later on, there will also be um, a direct giving function of Maternal Spotlight to actually directly help new moms. So or mothers and, you know, in all kinds of in all forms. So uh, thank you guys so much. It's always, always, always a pleasure to get to see you and learn about your work and talk to you. So I'm so happy to be able to share you with the Be Her Village community. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning into the Be Her Village podcast. This episode was recorded a few months ago, so I just wanted to give a little update as far as some of the information that they were talking about in this episode. They mentioned a few partnerships that they were working on local to Long Island. They did provide a grant to the Nesting Place Fourth Trimester Support Circle to fund scholarships for BIPOC women. And they were the first recipient, so they got some hands-on tools to use. The partnership is around creating a postpartum checklist tool with the Nesting Place and Karma Tutor, who runs that support circle. And they're also implementing a research study to understand the the impact of that support circle, given that it includes a screening for depression and postpartum stress in week two of the program. So... It's just it's just really great because they're micro grants, so they're funding specific organizations with a specific target of people, and Maternal Spotlight is able to directly see the impact that these kinds of grants are having, which is so awesome. And I don't know if I mentioned this in the intro, but you might see a bit about Maternal Spotlight on the Be Her Village website because every purchase that's made, a small percent of that is donated to Maternal Spotlight and their cause. And again, if you have stories that you are interested in sharing, check out the link in the show notes so that you can be heard and help other moms and other families and other people in your situation feel heard and validated. And last but not least, our Detroit Motherhood Expo is set to happen Sunday, October 24th in Detroit at Shed 5. Tickets are on sale now for moms and families, as well as there's still a little bit of table space if you are a motherhood business provider and you want to have a table for moms to come visit you, whether you're a lactation consultant or a doula, massage therapist, a yoga instructor, pelvic floor PT, all that good stuff. We have some space left. We have lots of tickets and it's going to be a great fun day. So I will also link that in the show notes so that everything is easy to find and click on. Thanks again for tuning into the Be Her Village podcast. Your support means so much to us. Do us a favor, rate us, like us, share with a friend, share it on social media. Every bit of it helps and we really, truly appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day wherever you are. Bye.